Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hey guys, this is Russ and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Sophia Zaman Tariq. Sophia Zaman Tariq is a Bangladeshi woman who went missing from Rochester, Minnesota in 1999. Unfortunately, we don't know a lot about Sophia. Most times when I cover a story, I try to start this episode out saying a few short sentences about the person. I would love to get more, but because the type of cases I covered are cases that really didn't get a lot of news, didn't get a lot of coverage, a lot of times a couple sentences about them, about who they were as a person, is all I can find. But when it comes to Sophia, I can't find anything about her personality whatsoever. When it comes to Sophia, all we really know is that She was originally from Bangladesh. She came to America sometime in the mid-90s. And she was a mother, a wife, and she was 26 years old at the time of her disappearance. Now, when Sophia moved to the U.S., she moved with her husband and her young son, Mohammed. In the U.S., they resided with her sister, Mary Zaman, her husband, Iqbal, and their son, Asif. The entire family worked at an Indian restaurant called the Indian Guard in Rochester, Minnesota. Now, while in Minnesota, things weren't exactly smooth sailing. Her sister Mary's husband, Iqbal, had been accusing her sister of cheating. It's reported that there was a history of domestic violence between them. In March in 1998, her sister's husband was arrested for allegedly trying to kill her sister Mary, according to a Minnesota Public Radio article. Now, these charges were eventually dropped because Mary refused to cooperate with prosecutors. The only source that's ever quoted in articles about this case that seemed to know Sophia and Mary was their boss at the restaurant. Now, in articles, it's stated that the boss says he actually never really saw her sister Mary and her husband argue, but he did say that Iqbal, her husband, he brought it up and said that they argued all the time. The owner did recall one evening with Mary coming into work with a lot of facial scratches, but no explanation was ever given. In March of 1999, Sophia's husband moved back to Bangladesh, but Sophia and their son Mohammed stayed. It's not exactly explained why he left, but early that spring, he went back and when he left, everybody was fine. And we don't really know what happened between then and late September of that very year. See, on November 26, 1999, a young boy's body was found along with the body of a woman who was believed to be between ages 20 and 30. Their bodies was found in a ditch along 60th Avenue, Northwest Rochester, Minnesota. Both bodies had been decapitated and stuffed into garbage bags. The child's bodies had no signs of long-term abuse or trauma. And the woman's body had a freshly painted left hand. But 
her right hand had no polish on it whatsoever, leaving investigators to wonder if possibly she was attacked while she was in the middle of doing her nails. It is believed that they died just weeks before they were found. A Los Angeles Times article titled Murder Suspect Hiding in Plain Sight describes how the bodies were actually found. See a city worker, he was cleaning a ditch when he saw two trash bags. And this was Minnesota in the fall, so he just assumed, ah, well, hunting season just ended and this is probably some deer hides. But that's until he got closer and realized that a child's hand was poking out of one of the bags and he called police. Now, police, they found the young boy's body, but at the time, the worker who found the body, once he saw a child's hand, he didn't explore anymore before calling the authorities. So when the authorities got there, they came with canines and they did a search and a little ways away, they found another bag. And this bag is the bag that contained the woman's body. They continued to do searches, but besides the woman's purse and a wallet that did not seem to have any identification in it, they found nothing else. Police originally had no idea whose bodies these were. Without heads, they really didn't have much to go on besides assumed ages, the color of their skin, and a ring on the woman's finger. Police used National Missing Persons databases to try to find possible matches. They showed the ring to the public to see if anyone would recognize it and ask schools to come forth if they had any young boys who suddenly stopped showing up without rhyme or reason. DNA showed that the two bodies were related to each other, but for some reason, they could not figure out just how closely related. In May of 2000, the victims were given a funeral. Many police officers attended. They wanted to come out and show the city that these two people had people out here who cared about them, who wanted to know what happened to them. And while that was the main reason why they came out, it was also a big police presence to see if the suspect would show up himself. As I've discussed in quite a few of my episodes, perps have an odd fascination with returning to the scene of the crime. They want to scoop it out. They want to hear what people are talking about there. It's actually extremely common, but it doesn't appear that anything came of this. The victims were buried under signs that read, Mother at Rest 2000 and Son at Rest 2000. That summer, the police decided to look into local schools again for children that left schools, but this time as transfers. In return, the schools were able to send them 15 names, most of these being names of immigrant and migrant children. They were first able to cut down a couple of names of children who were white because both victims appeared to be people of color. Then they began reaching out to contacts of the remaining children. Now, most of the children they were able to find were children of migrants and their families moved where work was. But then they came across one particular name. Asif Ahmed, Sophia's nephew, her sister Mary's son. He was a child that was pulled from his school, but actually never transferred to another school in the area. Now, police went to the address and tried to get a hold of him via phone, and they were eventually able to get in touch with the apartment manager. And basically what the apartment manager said was, yeah, they left sometime in September in 1999. They had actually broke a newly signed lease, leaving behind all their items. 
when police called the number attached to Asef's file, they got a hold of the India Garden restaurant where Sophia, Mary, and Iqbal worked. The boss say that he last saw all of them sometime in September of 1999 as well. They didn't even come to pick up their last checks. Mary was scheduled for afternoon shift and she was a good worker. She always showed up and showed up on time. But this time she didn't show up and he thought it was odd. Her husband, Iqbal, told him that Mary had left with his son to go back to the city, referring to New York where they had previously lived. The boss also remembers that Iqbal called back just a few days after telling him that to ask if he had seen Mary because he was in New York and he couldn't find her. And of course, this made police extremely suspicious. And they began to dig into Iqbal's history. Now, authorities, they were able to locate credit card receipts that showed that Mary's husband, Iqbal, Sophia's brother-in-law, had made some very suspicious moves. On August 25th, 1999, Iqbal bought plane tickets from Minneapolis to New York, and then tickets for a later date from New York to Bangladesh. On September 6th, he bought an axe and 12 heavy-duty contractor bags. On September 17th, he cashed two bad checks overdrawing his accounts. With some of the evidence they found, Police suspected that the bodies that they found belonged to Mary and her child. They believed that they were killed sometime around September 18th. This was the day that Iqbal flew to New York. But suspiciously enough, he also bought a child ticket for New York as well. But police couldn't verify if this child's ticket was actually ever used. He spent a couple days in New York shopping, running errands, before flying to Bangladesh. On June 25, 2000, authorities officially charged Iqbal Ahmed on two counts of second-degree murder. Forensic evidence was shown that the heads were decapitated with a tool with fine teeth. You know, something like an axe. Carpet samples, hair, and paint chips were found with the bodies. Police believe both Mary and Asaf were killed in the apartment they shared with her sister, her nephew, and her husband. A thumb fingerprint was later found inside the bag that contained the boy's body. And luckily, the police were able to find fingerprints for Iqbal. See, Iqbal, he had applied for a job with the New York Cap Licensing Bureau, and they were able to get his fingerprints and match one of his thumbs with the thumb of the fingerprint found in the trash bag containing the boy's body. Altogether, the police put together that this missing woman must be Mary and her child, Asif, but no one knew where Sophia and Muhammad were. Now, the FBI, they got involved in this case. Iqbal was now international, and they originally actually tried to hold back information about the case, not letting the public know that they were finding all these clues and they were getting closer and closer to knowing not only who the victims were, but who possibly did this because... They wanted to lure Iqbal back to the United States. And look, they tried in several different attempts, but they couldn't get him. And oddly enough, he tried to come on his own in 2000 to re-enter the country, but he was turned away by Immigration and Naturalization Service officer who turned down his request, not realizing that he was a wanted suspect. And this was actually devastating to the case because according to a few articles, the Bangladesh National Police pretty much let it be known that, yeah, 
we're not going to return him. And it's very unlikely he'll even get arrested about that case here. Because here's the thing, the U.S. does not have an extradition treaty with Bangladesh. But the FBI, they had some people over in that area already, so they sent an FBI agent to Bangladesh to interview Iqbal. And he talked to them. He claimed that, no, he knows nothing about murder. He thought his wife was alive and well in the U.S. In fact, some articles claimed that he said he talked to her that very year in 2000, even though her body was found in 1999. And as far as his son, he says, no, his son is alive. His son is in Bangladesh living with his parents. Now, while that's happening in December of 2000, a man named Mohammed Tariq was detained in New York City after arriving on a flight. Mohammed Tariq, he is Sophia's husband. So Muhammad, you see, he was detained because they knew he was the brother-in-law to Iqbal. So detectives went up to New York to talk to him to see what he knew. Now, Muhammad, he says, yeah, I'm back in the States. I'm coming back for my wife and my kid. But it's really unclear if police were aware that Sophia was also missing at this point in time. Information specifically about Sophia, you don't really get a lot about her. You hear mostly about her sister and you'll get little tablets that have a lot of missing pieces. So yeah, her husband came back, but we really don't know why he ever left or if police were aware that Sophia was also missing at this point in time. See, he was telling the police all of this and the police asked him, okay, please give us a couple pictures of your wife and your kid. And when he gave them pictures, police realized something was odd. See, in one of the pictures, his son, Muhammad Jr., had on these really particular shorts. These shorts were the same shorts found on the body of the boy that they thought was Asif. And this got investigators' wheels kind of turning. Was the boy they found actually Asif? Or was this boy Muhammad Jr.? with his aunt. So now that they discovered they had an FBI agent circle back around to Bangladesh to talk to Iqbal and get DNA from the child that he says is his son, Asif. And Iqbal, he was fine with it. He was like, yeah, I'll take you to my parents' home and you guys can collect DNA there. And when they did, they found out that, well, he was actually telling the truth. This was his and Mary's son, Asif, after all meaning that the little boy's body that they found was actually Sophia's son, Muhammad Jr. So at this point, people are really confused and wondering, okay, so we found the body of Maria, Sophia's sister, and Muhammad Jr., Sophia's son, but no one knew where Sophia actually was. You see, only those two bodies were found no other body was found in that area. And they did a search. They did a search with canines and everything. And of course, Iqbal, he was just kind of like, hey, hey, happy day. He didn't know what was going on. He was just kind of like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Last I knew, my wife was still down there with her sister. And unfortunately, from the looks at it, Sophia and Maria only had each other and their sons. And with Maria gone... And Sophia's son gone, and Akbal playing the I don't know game, there was nobody else to account for where Sophia could possibly be. 
The Olmstead County Sheriff Steve Borchat is quoted by the Minnesota Public Radio as saying, we're not ruling out the possibility that there's another body out there, but maybe she's alive and will come forward too. This quote was given in 2001. And so far, there has been no public update on Sophia's possible whereabouts. It is assumed that Iqbal killed Maria out of jealousy. See, he had a history of telling others that he believed that she was cheating on him. And the running theory is that Sophia and Muhammad were collateral damage to his rage. Going back to that Los Angeles Times article titled Murdered Suspect Hiding in Plain Sight, written by Joshua Freed, it's reported that by 2003, Paul had remarried in Bangladesh and changed his name. And he told his neighbors that he left his old wife in America because she was a cheater who was running around with her American lovers. And for a long time, that's it. That's all we have on this case. But come 2010, there becomes a little bit of a twist in the story. You see, in 2010, it's reported in two or three Minnesota-based news sources that Iqbal had died. He had died in a prison in Bangladesh after being convicted for the murder of two other people in his home country. And that was that. Investigators were keeping Sophia's case open because no one knew where Sophia was. That question still had not been answered. And for a while there, it seemed like, again, that was that. But around 2016, Iqbal's name started to surface in articles again. And international news sources. It appeared that, no, he was actually alive, even allegedly living in the Philippines. In a 2016 Mind the News article, it's claimed that Paul was again arrested in the Philippines and had a couple of charges pending. It stated that he had a domestic violence case filed by his latest wife. But then in other articles like the Inquirer.net, it states that yeah, well, he was also arrested and facing human trafficking charges in Bangladesh. It's not quite clear why the articles of him dying in 2010 surfaced in America, but nowhere else, or why the articles of him being alive and re-arrested surfaced in international news sources in 2016. When you look on different missing person databases, most of them state a story that's somewhere in between. The story is that, yes, that he was convicted and arrested for the murder of two unrelated people in Bangladesh sometime after he fled America. But in all the databases I've came across, they all still report him as alive and actually serving life. It's really unclear, as is a lot of things with Iqbal. It's hard to tell what's actually the truth. And from what a few news sources have kind of hinted at, it's been hard for the police as well to get correct information from Bangladesh authorities regarding Iqbal and his cases. Either way, it appears that he is either in prison somewhere or deceased. But none of that solves the question of where is Sophia? Why hasn't Sophia... Simon Tariq been found. Is there a chance that she's still out there? And if she's not, then where is she? 
And why wasn't her body found with her sisters and her sons? These are all still questions we're still asking. I do ask that if you have any information at all regarding the disappearance of Sophia Zaman Tariq, that you call the Onstead County Sheriff's Department at 507-285-8300. As always, I'll have her pictures and information posted up on my Instagram site, and that's the Overlook underscore podcast. And go by the Instagram, look through her pictures, look through her flyers, and see if you recognize her face. Were you in any of the areas mentioned in this case? you have any ties to any one of these people? Even the smallest detail could help. Now, that's all I have for this episode. As always, I ask you guys stay safe and stay vigilant. And you hear the sound of my voice again this time next Sunday. Bye. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.